0: Everybody was just like, oh my God, this is so funny. I love it so much. And I was like, the ability to provide joy while also talking about finances was so intoxicating to me.
1: Welcome to The Fi Show,
2: where you get a behind the scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Financial Independence Show, where today we have on Chloe Daniels, who's a money coach who completely transformed her financial life. But before we get into that, let me check in with my co-host, Justin. What is going on, man? Hey, Cody.
1: Yeah, this weekend was a a nice little mix of you know, some family stuff, some getting some projects done, doing some fun things. So Leslie's nephew was in the uh, Texas State 6A football high school playoffs, which was pretty fun. I mean, it's kind of wild seeing these like college level crowds at a high school football game. They did win. It was a pretty awesome last like second, fourth and one stand at the goal line. Saturday, they had this really cool event in Austin where it's all these local musicians who they're trying to give grants away to. And there's this organization where you can join and there's like a monthly membership fee and that money goes to things like that, like helping them get studio time and all that sort of thing. And so this was like a ball kind of gala event for that organization and they had 19 different performers and they had two stages. So it was kind of nonstop, like set after set with all kinds of music from like rap to more like country to girl band type situation. So it was all over the map. That was really fun and went out to Rainy Street after. And then I had a little bit of unfortunate kind of project work that I had to do where we're going to get a little foundation work done on the house. It's what's kind of delayed me on the Airbnb thing. And um, to get to part of the back of the house, I actually need to pull up part of my deck so that they... The guys can get to it this week, but tonight having a little more fun going to a big professional wrestling event, which me and Cody we've actually done together. Um, we <laughs> did down in Mexico where we saw the big triple A event. This will probably be a little less rowdy because you know I would say that Mexico event was pretty wild, but yeah, we're going. I'm going to an AEW show tonight, got some free tickets online, so I uh, finally conned a couple buddies into go with me, but I think we'll have a good time,
2: absolutely. Yeah, Luchasaurus is now a. Favorite of mine. (laughs) Unfortunately (laughs) for me (laughs) this week, my Hawaii time has come to a close. I finally flew back in yesterday, but before I left Hawaii, I got to do one really cool thing. So something that the big Island is famous for. I was staying on the big Island last week. I mentioned the volcano erupted. It's been crazy. There's been a bunch of people flying in to see the lava, all that good stuff. But in Kona on the other side of the Island from me, they have these manta ray diving tours. And so basically, you have this like paddleboard with these big LED lights on the bottom of it, which attracts like a bunch of plankton and stuff that these manta rays eat. These manta rays are like five to 15 feet in length. And so we're just like all kind of huddled around this paddleboard with snorkels on. And you know, there's all these plankton that are getting attracted to the light and the manta rays, they're just these huge gentle giants. They're just like swimming and doing backflips and eating all this plankton. It was like one of the most surreal experiences i've ever encountered it's kind of jarring going in the open ocean at night and snorkeling and you know these huge manta rays are like swimming within inches of you but it's something that i'm gonna remember forever and we had a gopro got to capture a bunch of it on footage but yeah that was like my last really cool iconic hawaii thing and now i'm back in freezing cold massachusetts i'm glad (laughs) you didn't pull a steve Irwin and you made it back (laughs) yeah so so, Steve Irwin, they clarified this for us, was killed by a stingray, which has a stinger. A manta ray cannot harm people. And they actually had this joke that said, <laughs> What's the reason Steve Irwin didn't make it? He wasn't wearing sunscreen, which protects you from harmful rays. Okay. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> to the guest of the show today, Chloe Daniels, AKA Chloe Bear Money Coach. So, Chloe has one of the funniest TikTok slash Instagrams. Like she makes all these short videos and just has hilarious dance moves with really helpful financial information kind of overlaid over them. Like she'll be doing twerking on the wall, making like an overbite face, but at the same time, I'll be telling you like how to invest in index funds. Like she just does an amazing job and I actually had some friends who reached out to me who was like, oh, my God, you had Chloe Daniels in your podcast. I love her content. And these are people that like won't listen to our show, Justin. They don't listen to me. They like her content because she's fun and she's funny. So it's really fun getting to kind of hear her origin story because she actually started in a completely different field than personal finance pivoted. As she was kind of going through her own personal finance transformation and realizing that she was worth a lot more than she was getting paid and how she was able to level up her income. And now she's just, like I said, completely transformed her financial life and so many other women and men do the same. Yeah, Chloe's
1: an interesting story where she probably started out, honestly, like a lot of our listeners, where she was just in a normal job. She's looking to get debt free. And then just kind of got hooked and just got deeper and deeper and deeper into the personal finance space, started realizing she had something to offer, started putting together a course and actually quit her job in the marketing industry back in 2021 to teach full time. And even before that, you know, what she was in marketing, she did what, you know, I've talked about a lot definitely in the show, which is realize what your earning ceiling really is. Like, I think she thought for a long time it was much lower. And then she just kind of moved to a different company that was actually profitable and then started making more money. And then she started realizing, oh, I can put this together and start teaching this course and then realized, okay, I can make even more money. It's definitely something me and Cody talk about all the time, that balance, like, yes, you know, the frugal parts, like you need to get those foundational pieces of how to track your money and know what to do with it and how to invest it. But learning how to increase that income side is huge too. And now Chloe's going out there and teaching everyone these things. And it's awesome to see the feedback that she gets when you go out to her site, like seeing all the testimonials and how everyone you know, is able to walk away from financial advisors and all these extra fees and things like that, just spreading the financial knowledge. So whether you're looking for links to those hilarious TikTok videos that Cody was talking about, or you just want to see where you can find more content from Chloe and some of those testimonials that I was talking about, you can find all that information over at thefyshow.com slash Chloe. That's thefyshow.com slash C-H-L-O-E. Take it away, Chloe.
0: Always a struggle in my household growing up. My parents had five kids in the span of seven years, and they just kind of went for it even when they weren't really making any money. And so, really growing up, I often heard my parents arguing about like credit card debt or talking about how we were gonna afford back to school stuff. And most of the time the answer was just put it on the credit card. And so, with five of us growing up in an area that's pretty it's a low cost of living area, but I mean, not many people have five kids now definitely more people did back then. But it's still just like, you know, you're five times the expense of everything. There was a lot of times where it was like, we can't do that, or you're going to have to figure out a way to pay for that yourself. And because of that, I started working from a really, really young age, I started working at the age of nine, working at like concession stands where I was like selling candy bars, and they let us eat like $5 worth of snacks. And then I'd be babysitting. And then once I started babysitting, that's when I realized I never wanted to have children. (laughs) And then, so it's just like, it continued throughout my whole life. And I think that that's really what informed kind of my work ethic. Now, as you guys know, entrepreneurship really isn't for everybody, but if I hadn't had those experiences, I don't know if I would be doing what I'm doing now.
1: And you mentioned that you knew, at least growing up, that things were getting put on a credit card. Did you have a lot of transparency with the way finances were? Did you think there was a problem? Or is it one of those, like looking back on it now, I realized maybe things weren't budgeted for, maybe we were spending a little beyond our means.
0: Yeah, no, it wasn't that it was like an informed conversation that we were having. It was just like, you could always tell because they were always stressed. And my mom was never shy about telling me about our family finances. And she regrets that now. She could listen to this and be like, yeah, that was one of the mistakes that I made. Because it would always stress me out as a little kid. It would always be like something that I thought I was responsible somehow for like them not having money ever. I'd feel guilty if I ever asked for anything. And the answer was no. And I felt like I was selfish. So I always felt because of how my parents struggled with money, like it was my responsibility to fix that problem. Because the conversation around money was never abundance. It was never like, we're really good. Let's go on a vacation. You know, it was always, oh, we can't afford this. We can't afford this. And a lot of the times what my mom would do is, and I ended up like mirroring this behavior, is she'd restrict, 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 spend as little as possible for as long as possible. And then like, just go crazy, binge, buy a coach purse, you know, whatever, and then enter back into that credit card cycle. So it was like, that was kind of what was going on for most of my life until really, even recently, you know, they're in a better place now, I would say, but probably probably in part to the fact that all the five kids are out of the
2: house. And so what did the money journey, I guess, from a mindset standpoint, look like once you started to get like, your own money? I know you started working when you were nine years old. I'm guessing that continued throughout the rest of the middle school and high school. Like, what did you go to college for? Did you go into finance like, thinking, I'm going to you know, fix this whole money thing that my parents are messing up, and you know, they're in this credit card cycle? What was your kind of plans at that point, if you can remember back?
0: Yeah. So you would think that seeing my parents struggle with money would have like made me not want to struggle with money. But instead, it was just kind of like ingrained in me that I was going to be bad with money and that women were not good with money. And so rather than trying to like seek out solutions for that, I just kind of was like, yeah, this is just like who I am. This is part of my personality. And so when I was in high school, I was working at like Barnes and Noble in a coffee shop. And then by the time I went to college, I was studying English and Spanish. And the English community, specifically at the University of Iowa, was a creative writing community, which was really focused on like artsy people, like artsy people. It's like this badge of honor to be poor. You're not really like doing the work. You're not like a true artist if you're not like also struggling and living paycheck to paycheck. And so it was just like that was the norm. It was like that's what you're supposed to do. That's like you're staying true to who you are. And so I always thought like, I would just be lucky if I got a job when I graduated college, especially because I graduated in 2012, which was at the tail end of the recession. And I was just like, whatever I can get is what I get. And so I ended up working at like program management for ATM company, making like $14 an hour when I graduated. But in my mind, it was like, I didn't think I had any skills. I didn't think that I was ever going to be a hireable person. So it was kind of like, I thought that that's what I deserved. But then I eventually quit that awful, miserable job to go teach English in China, actually. And when I did that, it was Wuhan, China, weirdly enough, before everybody knew what Wuhan was. But that kind of gave me some of my confidence back and made me realize that actually I'm capable of doing like really hard things. And I'm also capable of like doing pretty much whatever I put my mind to. So when I came back from China and started looking for a job in Chicago... I had just a lot more confidence. And once I actually got into corporate America, I realized that being competent and also being likable in corporate America is just like a superpower. And it allowed me to make so much money because it was just like I was often the yes person. I was the person who was willing to like find a solution to a problem and move up really quickly. And because I had that attitude and also I was good at my job, that's when I actually started making money for the first time in my life. And it was like, oh, this whole like corporate America thing is not as hard as I thought it was going to be. I had spent so much time telling myself like, nah, you're an artsy person. You don't do corporate America. But once I got in, I was like, having money is really nice. <laughs> like This really makes everything a lot easier. And so I actually first developed a passion for making money and eventually developed a passion for like learning how to manage it because throughout all that time, no matter if I was making $14 an hour or $130,000 a year, I was really, really good at spending my money.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's what I was about to ask I mean, I could imagine you're going from that place where you're in college, no one around you really has any money. And you're, you're kind of like you said, that artist struggle. You're making $14 an hour. And I don't even imagine like the China, like teaching over there was probably this huge money maker to now all of a sudden, you know, you're getting into corporate America. You're noticing, hey, just be likable, be fairly smart and try hard. And you're going to get there and you start seeing that mm-hmm. salary rise. What did that look like from a spending perspective? Did you just continue to spend exactly what you made? And what were you spending them on? And did you find any value out of the things you're spending money on?
0: No. (laughs) So that was the thing. I like 100% mirrored my mom's way of managing money. I would have periods of time where it'd be like this sprint of like, okay, we just got to be really, really frugal for like this period of time until next payday or whatever it is. And then spend, 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 act like that never happened. And then repeat the cycle over and over again. Luckily, I was terrified of credit cards because of what my parents had been through. So I never went into serious credit card debt. But money management to me was just like making sure I had enough to get to the next payday. I didn't understand how people ever got out of the paycheck to paycheck lifestyle. I was like, I don't get it. Like I'm making $42,000 a year. Like why am I still not able to put any money away whatsoever? I was putting money away in my 401k, but like I didn't even know what a 401k was at the time. So it was just kind of like, I don't know, that money just disappears. Yeah, most of my money went to when I was living in Chicago. I had been so frugal in China that by the time I got to Chicago, I just kind of went crazy and was like, every brunch, every dinner out every $13 cocktail on a rooftop. Yes, absolutely. So that was honestly as embarrassing as it is. I spent most of my money on eating and drinking out and some travel through those years. And by the time I got to my second career. So I started a nonprofit. And then I moved into consulting for a engineering firm. So completely different industry, completely different job, everything. I had a huge pay increase. And I went from making like $68,000 a year to $91,000. And I was able to just like keep making more money as I was running the ranks in the consulting world. And I just remember getting that huge pay increase. And I was terrified that I was going to run through that and have nothing to show for it, just like I had every other promotion before that. So that's when I was finally like, okay, we all have to have like that oh shit moment. And my oh shit moment was once I got that 20K increase, I was like, all right, I'm just going to write down what I spent my money on every single day for two weeks just to see where the heck it's going. Because we all think we know where our money is going until we actually look at where our money is going. And when I did that and I wrote it down, I was like, oh my gosh, if somebody looked at my spending, they would just think I was a drunk. Like that's it. All my money is going to alcohol and food and GoPuff and like some Beyonce tickets, you know? And it was just like, that made me feel so gross that I was like, I don't want to be this person. Like, this is not the life I actually want to live. These are not high value things. If you had asked me what my values were at the time, I would have told you I valued travel. I valued independence. I valued adventure. But my bank statement was telling you I valued eating out and drinking. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> and I was like, that grossed me out enough to just try to change. And it was like, I didn't know what I was doing, but that moment I was just like, this is how it's gonna continue for the rest of my life if I do not decide to just do something.
2: It does sound like to your credit that you didn't increase the big spending categories though. Like you didn't go and move into some make mansion. You didn't go and buy like a hundred thousand dollar car. These are all expenses that like you could turn off the next month.
0: <laughs> Not really. So funny story about that. I love that I <laughs> left that out because that was where I was spending most of my money was on eating and drinking. So when I moved back from China, I moved to Chicago in August, 2015. At the time I had a paid off Chevy Lumina. It was like a 2001 Chevy Lumina, which looked like the old cop cars. And in Chicago, I was using it and the windows would no longer roll down and the AC wasn't working and Chicago can get pretty hot. And so by December, it was like December 23rd, I was sitting on the couch with my dad and I was like, with $400 in my bank account, I said, I think I'm going to go buy a new car today. (laughs) So I drive my happy ass to the Toyota dealership and I buy a brand new Toyota Prius for 20 grand, which was worth half my salary at the time. So yes, there was some lifestyle creep, but before I even increased the income. And so I was stuck with the Prius for a couple of years. And like every year I would move to a new apartment but it wasn't huge jumps. Like my first apartment in Chicago, I had three roommates and I paid $600 a month for one bedroom in that apartment. Then I moved to a place that was like maybe $800. And then I moved to a place where I was like splitting it with a boyfriend at the time. and That was like a thousand. So that did like slowly increase, but no McMansions.
2: So you mentioned like wanting, you know, everyone has that, what you call an oh shit moment where they realize like they need to turn things around, but was it a piece of content? Was it a book? Like was it a YouTube video, a blog post? Like what actually lit the fire under you to start making those changes?
0: Yeah. So after I had the oh shit moment of realizing I was a drunk with an ordering food problem, I didn't know what to do. I had only ever heard of Dave Ramsey. His content never resonated with me. And so I started just looking, I think I just started Googling like budgeting and debt payoff and things like that. Because at the time I was so low in my financial literacy, I never even thought of Googling how to build wealth because building wealth was so far off the table that it was like, no, first I have to figure out how to survive. Building wealth comes later. So like that wasn't even on my radar. So what I looked for was likely the debt freedom, being able to travel, paying off student loans, because I thought that was my biggest issue. And what I found, one of the first blogs that I became obsessed with was called Millennial Revolution. Hmm. So that is written by the authors of Quit Like a Millionaire. And they were essentially this young couple who was living in Canada who had managed to quit their tech jobs in their 30s after being similar to me where they were spending, spending, spending. And then all of a sudden they're like, hey, we don't have to live our life like this. We could actually like retire early, quit our jobs and travel the world. And that's what they were doing. And I was so freaking jealous of them. I was just like, "Ugh, lucky them. They didn't have student loans. They didn't have this. So making all these excuses on why I couldn't do what they were doing. But then eventually I just had to have this really real moment with myself where it's like, Chloe, you could at least try. You make almost as much as somebody in tech is making and you live in a lower cost area. Like you could, why not just try? Because even if you try, let's say you fail, at least you're probably gonna be in a better place than you are right now. So it was actually jealousy. It was jealousy that really helped me discover what I wanted because I think half the battle is discovering what you want. And like, once you discover it, you find other people who are doing it and you emanate their plan or you do what they did.
1: And I think one thing I'd like to do right now is just kind of get like a little checkpoint in time here. So when you have this moment, like how old are you? What year is it? Like how much you make? What are you worth kind of thing? Like giving the audience an idea of where you're at in this moment when you make that decision
0: it was October 2018. So it's almost exactly four years ago as we're recording this. So how old was I? 27. And I had about $10,000 in a 401k. I had $70,000 in debt. I had no cash on hand. I had a negative $70,000 net worth from my debt because I had nothing to show from all the years that i had been working. So that's where I was at.
1: And like after you have that moment, Did you start immediately trying to share that kind of information with other people? Like, did you start saying like, hey, I just realized about this myself. Like, you guys, you got to get on the bandwagon. Or did it take a while before you started kind of sharing with other people
2: or being comfortable enough to talk about money, at least at a high level? We'll be right back after a quick word from one of our sponsors. Today's sponsor is one I use on a daily basis in my company, Gold City Ventures. That is the sound of a sale in your Shopify store. But did you know that Shopify now also powers in-person selling? Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store or small business. Accept payments, manage inventory, they have everything. Shopify brings together your in-person and online sales business into one source of truth. One dashboard, everything in one place. You know exactly what's going on. And now they have all these customization options. They have plug and play tools that you can integrate with Instagram or TikTok or wherever. You can take your payments by phone or by tablet. Shopify makes it easy. Plus, if you have any questions, their support team is there to help you. I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this audience and Shopify POS just breaks down that barrier to accepting payments with your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash Now back to the show.
0: Yeah. So at that point, I had already been writing Clobear.com, which Clobear.com, when I started it in September 2017, so a year before actually, I was doing it to write about mental health. I was talking about my journey through therapy and all the things that I was learning there, kind of like hold myself accountable of like growth and making sure I did the work and making sure I was healing in the way that I needed to heal. And so that's what Clobear was for the first year. And then after some very serious healing that first year, I was like, man, I've done all this work on myself, but I still am ignoring this huge elephant in the room, which is my personal finances. And we all know that our money impacts our mental health and our mental health impacts our money. And it was like, if I really want to conquer this mental health stuff, and like my money stuff, I can't ignore this huge part of the picture. So In 2018, that was like kind of that moment where it was like, I wasn't sure if I was going to share this on the blog because it was a mental health platform. But then I was like, you know what, so many other people have been through what I've been through. And I know how much not having money stresses me out and makes me feel trapped and makes me feel depressed. And it makes me feel like I have no options. So I decided I had actually read the blog by Kate Flanders, wrote a book called Year of Less. And the book was based off of her blog, I had never seen anybody do this before. She shared her budget and what she spent her money on every single month. And I like binge read that whole thing. I don't know why, but I found it fascinating just to see where her money was going. Cause her spending was so small in comparison to mine. And I made way more money than she did too. And I was like, Oh my God, she doesn't spend any money. And even as her income increased, she wasn't spending any money. And I was like, wow, I'm just like spending, spending, spending. And so I decided I was going to do the same thing she did. And I was just going to share my budget every single month because of that accountability factor. And it was like, if I was sharing how much I was spending, how much I was saving, how much I was investing, all of that stuff. At first, it was just saving and paying on debt because I wasn't investing. I was like, this will hold me accountable. And I'll talk about the mistakes. I'll talk about what I'm learning. I'll talk about what I'm trying. And that's what I did. So that's when I decided to start sharing it on Clobear, the blog. I didn't really have much of a social media presence at that time. So I was like kind of dipping my toe in that. But all my following on social media, they were there for the mental health and the relationship stuff. They didn't give a shit about money. And so once I started sharing that stuff, nobody ever engaged with the money stuff. (laughs) I was so interested in it and so passionate about it. So I was like, okay, I'm going to keep doing this. Even if people don't care, I'm going to keep doing this because I care and I really enjoy this stuff.
2: So something that's unique about your story is you've publicly like shared your therapy journey and just like going through a lot of tough things. And I think mindset is just such a key part of personal finance. And you know, if money was just about the numbers and everybody would be rich, like so many people just make these psychological, these emotional driven decisions. I guess how important was that for you? And how important do you think that is for other people? Like getting just the mindset right about not only yourself, but like just money and just like the holistic view about, I know you talked about the inner work you did on yourself.
0: Oh, it's huge because like even the example of earning money, so many of us, women, especially artsy people, people in the creative community, we tell ourselves this lie that we'll never make any good money, that we're not able to, that it's like just our path in life. And that's so not true. And when we believe that about ourselves, then we take actions to prove ourselves right. So it's like you have to first believe it's possible and like truly, truly, truly believe that because then you're going to look for solutions rather than complaining about the problems and the obstacles that are in front of you. Because if you're not truly sold on this idea that it's even possible, you are not going to do the things that it takes to make it happen. So I think a lot of the manifestation stuff is bullshit. But I do think that like there's something behind getting your mind in this place where you are constantly telling yourself a new truth. Because you cannot just think your way into wealth, but the thinking is where it starts. And if you don't have that part, you're just going to constantly be like pushing this boulder up a hill, hoping that you can like prove yourself wrong. But if you already think you're going to fail, you're probably going to fail. Like you're probably not going to look for solutions and the right moves. You're going to be focusing on how you're failing in all of these ways. If I hadn't believed I was capable and it was possible the first month that I budgeted, I went over budget by like $800. If I had truly not believed that I could do it, I'd have been like, Oh, well, fuck this. Like, I'm clearly just never going to be able to budget like this clearly doesn't work for me. So I think that's massive. And it's like in all the aspects of life, you know, with my earning more income, it was huge, because the second I believed that I was worth more, and I was able to make more, I was going after those promotions. I was talking to my boss about what was next. I was looking for something that paid me what I wanted to be paid rather than believing, oh yeah, I'm only worth $14 an hour because that's just not true. And in the same with money, like it took me a really long time to remove the belief that debt freedom was the ultimate, like everything. Like debt freedom was like the way to go. That was the only thing you needed to pursue. But that was like another challenge I had to overcome where it was like, no, You have to be investing. That makes no sense for you to pay off your 3.54% interest rate student loans early. Like, you need to be putting this money into the market. So, it's like at every level of your journey, you're going to run into new obstacles in your thinking patterns because you are like letting go of this past self, this past version of yourself. And like, there are things now that I still am like reaching this, like, oh, I thought I was done growing. Like, why do I have this tension? And it's like for being a business owner, I'm like, okay we got to move beyond this belief that like you're an imposter or that you can't do this or that you're not capable of making a half a million dollars a year. We got to keep moving on and like that's just a constant journey and a constant practice, but I do think it gets easier. It gets easier to pull yourself out and like it's possible and like why not try, you know?
1: And I think we see a lot of times in this space where people want to use that as an excuse that they can't even get started if they're not like in a like I say a tech job where they're making this really high incomes. But I mean, that is obviously a big accelerator if you can get into that mm-hmm. world. And so I don't know if you could talk a little bit about maybe some advice you'd have for people who are trying to get from one of those, like maybe they're coming from a background that isn't traditionally paid as high because you were able to work your way into a six figure plus job. I know I've always told people like, hey, whatever job you are at a company that's manufacturing paper, and then you do the same job at a tech company, like you're likely going to make a lot more of the same skills. But I don't know if you had any kind of Yeah.
0: So I was never in tech, but I was in a traditionally underpaid role. So I was in communications, but when I was making $130,000 a year, most communications, like at least what I thought, I didn't think communications were making that kind of money. But the thing you have to do is you have to go where your skills are valued. And for me, communications at a nonprofit, my skills weren't necessarily valued. Communications, I started at a medical association, and it's just like you were not valued there. But communication skills at an engineering firm, oh my God, they need communication (laughs) skills. They need that. Like most people need engineers, they need communication skills. So it's like figuring out where your skills are most needed and where you can have the most impact is huge. But also removing the beliefs of, for me, I had to get over this idea that my job needed to be the sexy dream job. If you're able to get over that, there's so many like limiting beliefs that come with this idea that we have to have our dream job sure, now I'm at a place where I have the privilege that like what I do for a living is absolutely my dream job. But it didn't start out that way. I had to get over that because that's why I originally went into nonprofit is I thought my dream job was making an impact and like doing something that was like helping people. But then I got into it and it was like, okay, the trade offs for that is you're going to be underpaid, you're going to be overworked. And like, are you really making a difference at the nonprofit I was working at? I was like, I'm not sure I'm actually making a difference. And I could probably be making a much bigger difference if I was making more money. That, removing this idea that it had to be like this interesting, cool, sexy job really helped me because had you given me the job description of the place that I ended up going to, an engineering firm, which is like the least sexy job I could possibly think of, I would have never even applied. If somebody had shown me that job description fresh out of college, I would have been like, that sounds boring to tears. Like, I think (laughs) I will die there because it's so boring. But what I saw was boring means I'm not going to be stretched as much. I have one job there. It's going to pay me what I need. And then I can do interesting shit outside of my job, you know? So being able to remove these expectations, I think is huge. And I do think that millennials have this like disservice on themselves that they have to have their dream job. And what I always say is focus on your dream life. What is the job that will give you your dream life? It doesn't have to be the same thing. And to me, that served me a lot because I was like, I just want to get paid and I want to work as little as possible.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So speaking of doing interesting shit outside of your day job, I know you started Clobear as kind of a mindset and like mental health, and then it then transitioned into Clobear Money Coach. At what point did you start treating it like an actual business rather than just you sharing random stuff online?
0: Yeah, it was January 2021. Wow. Actually, in 2020, I kept debating on whether or not to shut the whole thing down because It was so much work. It was taking up so much time. And I loved it, but I was drained and my relationships were suffering. My home life was suffering, like everything was suffering. And it was like, there's so much time and effort into Clobear. And so I took a like two, three month break. I didn't work at all on Clobear from like October till December. And I did that because I wanted to see if I wanted to keep doing it or not. And by the time December rolled around, I was like itching to get back to it. And so I ended up using December to set myself up for January where it was like I was ahead. And so January 2021, I was like, we are going to do everything we can to make this what we want it to be. And if we fail, at least we said we tried. So that is when I was like, all right, we are going to start producing content every day. We are going to start a TikTok. We are going to make these stupid reels. We're going to do all this stuff. We're going to, you know, we're going to start monetizing. And I didn't do like brand deal monetization at all the first year of my business. I was just doing coaching, but treating it like something that was something I needed to take serious And like really dividing my time to make sure I made time for it was the biggest thing for me. Because before I decided and I made that decision of I'm going to take this seriously, I'm going to turn this into whatever it could possibly be. I would just kind of like be like, yeah, this week I'm not going to do it. Like I don't have time. I would never reserve the time. But once I made that decision, Sundays were clover days. It was like Sundays and evenings were always clover days. And having that Sunday, protecting that Sunday at all costs for clover just became like standard. And that's really when I was able to have a lot more impact in terms of like the type of content I was creating and was able to grow pretty significantly.
2: Yeah,
1: I love the, you know, let's just put everything in and try this. That way there's no regrets, right? That way you can see, hey, like, is it me or is it just not a good idea? Did you have like an exit criteria for the trial? Did you say, hey, if March 31st, I didn't do X, then it's time to shut this down and you gave it a good shot?
0: I would say I said, like, let's just try this for a year. And within like three or four months, I had exploded. So it was so quick for me, luckily, and I know it doesn't happen like that for everybody. The reward was so quick that it was just like constant feedback that I was doing the right thing. By March 2021, I was selling out of every single coaching session that I had months in advance. When I started, it was like I maybe had 2500 followers on Instagram that were all there for the mental health stuff. And by May, I had 10,000. And it was like, all because I was showing up, being consistent, and providing value. So luckily, I was rewarded for my efforts pretty soon on, and that allowed me to keep going. If I had had radio silence and seen nothing for an entire year, I think I probably would have given up, especially with how much time and effort it is. Like- <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> One thing I love about your content, I'm curious when this started, is the dancing videos. They are just like... <laughs> the funniest combo of good information and entertainment When did you realize, like, this is the Clobear model? Like, this is what's working. This is what's getting engagement, because I haven't really seen any other people doing what you're doing with, like, those types of dances and the info in the personal finance space.
0: Yeah, I mean, for those who are listening, who have never seen my content, and I don't dance as much as I used to, but he's nice in calling it dancing. Like, it's not (laughs) even, it's more like gyrating or attempting to dance. So I've never been good at dancing, and it's, like, always been a running joke in my family. And when I got on TikTok in January, 2021, I was like, wow, everyone on here is dancing. And I was like, I'm never going to be able to do any of that stuff. So I just tried to like create content that was like, you know, like still worked and still like made sense on the platform. But I was really running into this like wall of like not knowing what to do. And so one day I was like, you know what? I'm just going to like make a goofy reel, have fun with it and see how it does. And I can think of exactly the reel, the audio and everything. And you guys might know the audio. It's like, get it, get it, get it, get it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I was doing this, like, like I was like, yeah, I'm going to go and get my finances. And that's like what the whole thing was about was like, yeah, I'm going to get these finances together. And I did that. And it was like my best performing reel. And like, everybody was just like, oh my God, this is so funny. I love it so much. And I was like, The ability to provide joy while also talking about finances was so intoxicating to me because so often, so many of us, we think about personal finances and it's this huge, overwhelming black hole of mystery and stress and anxiety. And to be able to combine this like goofy ass ridiculousness with personal (laughs) finance It was just like, this is something that like I would have enjoyed. This is something that I would have resonated because it's so scary. And so not only that, I just have a lot of fun doing it. So it was like, (laughs) you know what? This is something that I actually enjoy doing and people like it and it resonates. So I'm going to keep doing it.
1: I feel like across social media, especially places like Instagram, it's so common to see things that are pretty unrealistic, like people trying to show off their life and sell a course to tell you how to get there. And it's some kind of Mm -hmm. weird get rich quick thing. When you've had people reaching out for like your courses, have you found anything where you've noticed like there is a segment of people who are just looking for some kind of cheat code and they're not like looking to put in the work or do most people that come through and are legitimately ready to put the work in that, that it does take to do something like this?
0: Yeah. So every once in a while, I do get people who come to me and they're like, just tell me what to buy tell me what I should invest in, tell me like to do XYZ. And I'm like, first of all, that's illegal, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Secondly, like my goal is always to get you to a place where you can make that decision yourself. Because me picking something for you, first of all, illegal and not ethical. Secondly, it's not actually helping you at all. Because someday you're going to need to reallocate your investments, you're going to need to like change your risk tolerance and You're not going to know how to do that. So, what are you going to do? Come find me 15 years, 20 years down the road and ask the same question or ask somebody else who has a completely different perspective on investing? No, you need to educate yourself on the options so that you are empowered to do this for the rest of your life. Because Club or Money Coach isn't going to be around for the rest of your life. I mean, depending on how old you are. But (laughs) whenever folks come to me, that's like, I think what most people want. And so many of us do want that. We're just like, just tell me what to do. And it's like, listen. That's why I hate arbitrary rules. It's like, what matters to you is going to be very different than what matters to somebody else. If you want to spend 30, 40, 50% on your housing, freaking go for it. But you're going to have to cut back on something else. And that's going to be different for somebody else. Somebody else may be like, I will spend 10% of my income on housing so I can spend 50% of it on travel or whatever. And so I always tell people like, I'm not going to do it for you. You've got to learn your options and I'll give you all the options and all the information that you can understand. But eventually at the end of the day, your finances are your responsibility and you've got to figure it out for yourself because nobody, me included, is ever going to care about your finances as much as you are. That's the request I get the most option, not get rich quick. Some people are like, get rich quick. And I'm like, that's not what I do. I'm a lazy investor and like get rich quick. It doesn't exist.
2: (laughs) So earlier in the conversation, you mentioned you thought debt freedom was like the be all end all, like once I get to debt zero, that's it, like the Dave Ramsey plan, essentially. But then you discover investing, I guess, when you first learned about investing, and what did you think about it? Like, did you think you're gonna have to be analyzing all these stocks and reading through earnings reports? And I guess now you call yourself a lazy investor, like, it's obviously a lot different. But just curious how that mindset shift happened, because I think, Justin and I, we've talked to you know hundreds of different people who have started their journeys. Investing seems to be the biggest barrier to entry. It's not budgeting. It's not like the mindset stuff. It's just like they're scared to put their money in the market because it goes up and it goes down. But curious if you could talk about like mm-hmm. your own mindset shift throughout your investing journey.
0: Yeah, for me, it was absolutely fear. I mean, when I started off in 2018, I remember telling myself, okay, my original goal was to just like save up 10 grand so I could take a year off and travel the world for a year and like 10 grand and also be debt free. And then somewhere along the line, you know, I became obsessed with the FIRE movement and understanding how people were able to retire early. And every time I'd read somebody else's story or learn something new, there was this very key component that everybody was talking about that I was saying, no, I'll figure that out later. And it was investing. And it did every single thing that I read, talked about investing and when to invest and how it's so important to get started early. And I literally like put on blinders. I was like, not for me, not for me. Like I'm the exception. I'm just going to put it all in cash because investing is scary and I'm not smart enough for it. Like I'm a freaking English degree. So eventually by the time 2020 came around, I had read so much about personal finance that I was like, all right, Chloe, real talk here. We got to be real. This isn't what you need to be doing everything in here talks about not worrying so much about that low interest debt. And if you're in your 20s, especially, you should be investing and you are literally just ignoring it. You're saying, yeah, not me, though. You're like saying this doesn't apply to me, but you know, you need to be investing. And so I was like, all right, I was so scared to stop putting two grand a month on my student loans. And I was like, we're not going to do that anymore we are going to first build an emergency fund because I was going that Dave Ramsey route of just like living off of fumes and not putting all that money on debt. And I was like, first, we're going to build an emergency fund. And while I was building that emergency fund, I like increased my 401k contributions to like 16, 17%. So that was like at least something I was doing. And then eventually when I got that emergency fund funded, I was like, here we go. Let's like start investing. Let's start doing this. And I made mistakes. I originally picked like a bunch of actively managed mutual funds because I didn't know that an index fund would literally have index in the title. And like, I didn't even know how to find those index funds. And so it was just like trial and error. And that fear would have never gone away if I hadn't decided to just do it. Like a hundred percent had I not just decided to do it and make a few mistakes, I'd probably still wouldn't be investing the way that I should.
1: Yeah. Whether it's like coworkers or just like friends or whatever I end up talking to. And you know, they say, yeah, I've got this financial advisor. I've got this person who's doing it for Mm -hmm. me because it's just so complicated. Like I just don't have time for it. And I'm always like, well, if it's that complicated, they're probably not doing it the right way. So like, uh, you know? yeah. <laughs> and so as you're working with people, have you seen that? Have you seen people start to gain that confidence to realize it's not as complicated as I made it out to be, start to like fire their financial advisors, start to like really oh, change yeah. the way they're doing things?
0: Oh yeah, my favorite thing is like almost every person who completes my course, one of the first things they tell me is that they fired their financial advisor. And I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> And what's crazy is we'll look at what their financial advisor had them in of the time it's in a target date fund or it's in an index fund. And I'm like, you now know that you could have done that yourself, that you just wasted, you know, however many thousands upon thousands, which eventually would have turned into hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, all of this, you could have done yourself. And so once they get to that point, they're just like, oh my God, I can't believe I trusted this bozo. And like, I'm doing it now. And it's so easy. And like, I have people who come through and they're like, I actually really enjoy looking at funds now. Like I love shopping for an index fund now, which before they'd be like an index what? It's literally the best thing when somebody tells me like I fired my financial advisor. I'm going to have so many angry financial advisors out there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so you started taking Clobear seriously at the beginning of 2021, January, 2021. Since then, I mean, it, the platform has just absolutely exploded. Like on every social media platform, I can imagine you have Way more students who want to be in your courses, one-on-one coaching, I guess. How is the business, because I'm just obsessed with like building businesses, how has the business side of things developed for you over the past two years?
0: It's been great. So I started out monetizing through one-on-one coaching, and I was doing so much one-on-one coaching. In fact, when I quit my job, I quit my job in October 2021, and... The first month of full-time entrepreneurship, I had over 60 clients in one month. (laughs) And I was studying for my CFP. I was doing so much. And at the end of the month, I barely had a voice. And most of those one-on-one sessions were like two-hour sessions. So like 120 hours of coaching in one month. And I was just like, I'm going to die. And then November, it happened again. And I finally got to the point where I was like, okay, we have to launch a course. It is non-negotiable at this point. Like You are going to burn out so fast if you don't get a freaking course out. So I got to the point where I was like, okay, I got to do this. I don't know what I'm doing, but you know what? There's been many times in this journey where I haven't known what I'm doing and I just figured it out. And so I hired a business coach. I worked with Natalia Copeland from I Speak Social, did her Fast Academy. I got to the point where it was like, I still had a full coaching roster, mind you, while I was doing all of this. So I had to put the CFP study on hold. And I was like, all right, we're going to crank out this course. And so I, like a psychopath, decided I'm going to pick a date. The date is December 23rd. The course is going to come out then. That is the date. And I did it. I somehow managed to do it. I don't know how. But two days before Christmas, I had my first free webinar. And that's when I announced the Lazy Investors course. And when I was doing one-on-one coaching, I never made more than like $5,000 in a month. And when I had that launch, I made $35,000 in seven days. And I was like, oh, this is different. <laughs> and I was like, I've been doing this wrong. <laughs> and so that kind of started my journey in understanding like online courses and digital products and understanding what a funnel was. I didn't know what a funnel was and kind of figuring that out throughout the last year. So. That's been I guess it in a nutshell. I just had my 1 year anniversary of going full time on Clobear and I remember when I quit my job I told myself, "Are you okay with only making $60,000 a year?" Because I had never made more than $5,000 in a month and I was like, "You know, if I could invest at least $500 a month for the rest of my life, it'll be fine, you know? Like at least I'm doing something I love." And I ended up closing last year at $285,000 in sales with about $40,000 of expenses. I was like, so much for (laughs) (laughs) $60,000. I mean, it's just a huge blessing to be able to do something that actually matters and is actually helping people, unlike the work that I did at that nonprofit. No offense to the nonprofit. But I also love, I'm literally changing people's lives by helping them retire. So it's like just the coolest thing in the whole entire world.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's an incredible jump up. And it's awesome to see that you were okay with the 60,000. But now it's like Mm -hmm. you realize, Oh, my goodness, this is so much more than I would have made sticking in that corporate job. Mm -hmm. When you're sitting down making this course, I'm curious, because I know even if I'm just trying to make some kind of little walkthrough for somebody at at work or whatever, I think like, Oh, this is going to be simple. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, ah, let me add this detail. Let me add this detail. Like, what were you planning on covering in that course? And then like, what did you end up covering in that course?
0: So I was really good at making sure that I wasn't going to overwhelm people. Because when I was doing competitor research, I remember looking at a couple of other courses that were out there to see what people were selling. And a lot of them, I was like, this is so much stuff that people don't need to know about. It was like basically like a mini CFP. And as I was going through it, I was like, I don't want to create a course that has stuff that people don't need inside of it. I want to create a course that's like, the down and dirty of what you actually need to know and none of the BS that you don't need to know so that you can power through it and you can get started investing as soon as possible. And so there are many times I was like, Oh, should I include like life insurance? Should I include investing for your kids or all these other like little random things? And I was like, no, there's free coaching with the course. Like they can ask these questions of coaching if they need it. And then like things like investing for your kids, I made a bonus. I had to really focus on what are the key things people know to be able to get started right away without needing their own personal CFP. You know what I mean? And so that's what I went with it as I as I was even like reviewing other people's courses, I was like, we're not gonna do that, we're not gonna do that, we're not gonna do that. Because like you don't need to know technical and fundamental analysis if you're picking index funds. Like that's just extra things that are just like not worth your time if you are gonna be a lazy investor, which most average Joes are going to be. So that was really helpful as I had to keep reminding myself, this is for people who do not want a ton of work. They do not. They want easy, set it and forget it.
2: Lazy investor. Love it. Well, Chloe, for our listeners who want to get in touch, learn more about you, your courses, watch your hilarious videos, where are the best places for them to do that?
0: Yeah. So I am most active on Instagram. I'm there every day, unfortunately, but also it's great and it's not great, but that's at Money Coach. Bear is spelled B-A-R-E. And same handle on TikTok, same on YouTube, same on pretty much all of the platforms. And if you're interested in getting your money journey started, I do have a free guide that I always promote that's called the Get Your Money Right Guide. And that's at thelazyinvestorscourse.com slash guide.
1: Well, Chloe, thanks so much for giving us some time today, and it's awesome to see how you have built such a like win-win lifestyle where you've got a life that you're really pumped to live and doing the thing you want to do, but you're also helping other people build that same kind of lifestyle. So thank you.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you again for taking the time to listen to another episode of The Five Show. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support us, the best way to do that is to leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Share this with a friend. And also don't forget, you can find 200 plus episodes and all the information you'd ever want to have about these episodes over at thefyshow.com Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button because that way every Wednesday you can have our latest episode delivered straight to your phone. Until next time.